Well, great singing this morning and uh, great truths that we have been uh, expressing in song. And uh, wow, great start here. I, um, I just want to add my encouragement to each of you men to uh, be sure to plan to join us for our mentor retreat. Former Pastor Tony Beckett is going to be speaking and uh, Tony is a great preacher, and not just a great preacher, but he's got a lot to say, a lot of great things, truth from the Word of God, and that will challenge you men. And ladies, encourage your husbands to come. And, and, and if you're a single guy, hey, it's not just for married men. That's not the way it is. Young, old, please join us. Uh, we would love to have you. It would be a great time out at Rock Mountain uh, Bible camp and uh, food's good. The the time together is good, and the land and all the rest of it, hiking or whatever games and all the rest. Join us. It'll be a fantastic time. We just did this last spring. It was supposed to be a year ago now, but we did it in the spring, and we just thought it was such a great thing. We had to do it again uh, this fall, so we're doing that. So anyway, plan to come and let us know if you need help with the signing up or any questions about that at all. Growing up as a kid, uh, one of those South Jersey neighborhoods where they just uh, were exploding, developments being built everywhere, and uh, we moved in to our home, I remember, in uh, 1956. Now you say, you remembered that? No, I didn't remember that year. I just knew it was that year now as I look back. But uh, we were one of the first homes in that new development. And so the building was going on up and down the street all around us. And uh, I don't know, as I, as I watched all of that happening uh, each day, whether it be in the summer or to and from school and all the rest of it, um, I, I guess it just got something in me that I thought I could do some building as well. Uh, not necessarily a house, but, a house, but w- boy, what kid hasn't wanted to build some type of fort? out in the backyard. And so uh, things were, you know, it, it was just wide open space. And, and as I'd walk around, the, the, the builders, when they were done, they just threw the lumber out in the pile. I don't even know if they had dumpsters back in those days. You say, man, you are old. No, not really. But, but I remember the big piles. I think they would burn them a lot. And, uh, and so they were in those burn piles, and I would just go get wood, whatever it was, uh, two-by-fours and some pieces of plywood, and, and, and I built a fort in our backyard with scraps of wood. I even made a second level uh, and uh, had a little window and kind of a lookout area up on top, you know, looking out maybe six feet high. But, but that was my fort and the building. Well, throughout the New Testament, the Bible. Uh, Paul uses various figures of speech. We call them metaphors to picture the church. And uh, as we've been in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, in chapter 12, the metaphor, the picture of the church that he used was the body. We get into chapter 14 today, and he changes the picture, the metaphor, from a body to a building. And he's going to use a term about building up the church. In fact, he gives that 
term to the church in Corinth, challenges them about that, and leaves them with instructions for building up the church. Now, we're not talking about the physical building. We're not talking about the wood and the concrete block and the blacktop and the shingles and all the rest of it that goes into the building. We're talking about us, the people, the body of Christ, as he referred to it in chapter 12, but now as a building that we're going to see, and about the importance of building up God's people, the church. Now, we've been talking about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gift is a God-given special ability to serve the church. It's not just about a a special ability we have to use anywhere to do anything. It's about an ability that God has given us to build up the church. And that's the focus of the spiritual gifts as we read them in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. And these chapters, as we've said, contain corrective instruction. Uh, The church at Corinth had a lot of issues and they were struggling with understanding spiritual gifts and what to do with them. So he was correcting that understanding. He didn't want them to be ignorant as it related to spiritual gifts and so was helping them to know what it was they needed to know and to do. And today I want want us to see how we can apply Paul's first century instructions to building up the church that we call heritage today in 2021. So please open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and if you don't have a Bible underneath the chair in front of you somewhere close at hand, there should be a Bible there in that Bible, page 800. Page 800, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now we're going to look at uh, I, the, the first 19 verses I had thought I'd go to verse 25 because there's an obvious paragraph break there. But I think we're going to tie that together with next week. And I'll share more about that with you. But, But just by way of review, you have your place there. Chapter 14, verse 1, back up to the end of chapter 12, verse 31. Because Paul says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way and of course then we jump right into chapter 13 and uh, Scott and I preached through those that chapter in two different Sundays and talked about of course love but love isn't just about the love chapter as it's called it's not just about Paul didn't give us that and write those beautiful words especially the description of love in verses four to seven so that we'd have something to read at weddings That's not, sometimes we know that it's beautiful, it's great language and all the rest of it. It's good spiritual material and content for Valentine's cards and all the rest of that. But that's not the purpose of the love chapter. Paul wrote about love because the church in Corinth was struggling to love one another. And they were struggling to use those God-given abilities, spiritual gifts for service. They were competing. They, they wanted to, to, to have the, 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 the brightest, the showiest, if that's a word. The, those things that would draw the most attention. Those things that would cause people to do the oohs and the ahs when, when you exercise that gift. And that's, Paul says, that's not what this is about. 
And so as he gets into that, and as we look at this, spiritual gifts are important to building up the church. They are critical. The ability that we have to serve one another, to build up the church, and those gifts are to be used with love. Not used for self. Not used to promote us, ourselves. And that's what Paul was dealing with as he talked about that. Love is the most excellent way. Love is required if we as individual believers are going to build up the church. So Paul moves from chapter 13 right into chapter 14. And verse 1 immediately picks up the theme of love again. And he he gives two commands to the church. And right here in verse 1, chapter 14, Paul says, Follow the way of love. Some translations you may have says, Pursue love. And, and that's a great translation. We're going to look at that. Follow the way of love. That's the first command. Secondly, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, what we need to understand, when Paul starts verse 1, he's talking to the church. He's not talking to individuals. Well, the individuals make up the church, yes, but, but when he says follow, pursue the way of love, eagerly desire, those are second person plural. That's you, us. We're the you. And so he's talking to the church as a body. In fact, chapter 14 is about the church gathered together in a worship service and how they should act how they should conduct themselves within that worship service. So he's saying, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Pursue the way of love. That means follow with persistence. It's a strong, unrelenting intensity. It's it's just going after it, looking for Um, As a runner bears down on the finish line, as they're out there, they're running hard with intense energy and pursuing the goal of finishing that race, winning that race. That's the word here, pursue the way of love. That's the energy, that's the effort, that's the intensity that ought to be in our lives as we're told to pursue love with one another. It's not just, uh, we, we talked last week, love is a verb. Oh, it is a noun too, yes. But too many times that's all it is for us. We need to exercise that love in the ministry of the church, and we'll talk more about that. But this is the same word that Paul says uses when he says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14, I press on. I press on. You just feel the... The sense of urgency and intensity in his life. And that's what he's saying that we as believers, that's what he's telling the church of Corinth they need to do as they pursue love. As they pursue, it's about spiritual effort. Folks, we put forth a lot of effort and energy in a lot of different areas of our lives. Right? If you're a student in school, no matter what age you are, you put forth an effort. Especially when you get to the age where you're, you're getting homework and that homework is just 
becoming to be overwhelming, right? You get up into the college and then grad school and all the rest of it. If you have a job, you put forth effort where you work. If you have a family, you put forth effort together as a husband or a wife or with your kids and, and you, you build into your family. And we put forth effort into a whole lot of things. Pleasures, recreation, relaxation. We put forth effort into planning those times. Folks, I fear sometimes we don't put forth near the same intensity of effort as it relates to our own walk with God. And I think that's a problem. We wonder why churches all over the world, churches all around the United States are struggling today. Because there's not that equal intensity and effort and pursuit of spiritual growth and development in our own lives or in the lives of God's people of the church. Secondly, Paul says, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. The idea almost as strong as the pursue word, the pursue the way of love, but not quite as intense, but eagerly desire, earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. He's saying you ought, to, you ought to put forth an active interest in knowing what God has gifted you to do. What are the abilities that God has given you to use in the church? And, and do that passionately. Do that with enthusiasm. Be jealous to put forth, to grab hold of a spiritual gift and use it to serve this body of believers, this building, to build up the church. And I think that's when Paul talks about that, he's simply saying you need to use your spiritual gift. We've talked about that a little bit back when we were chapter 12, but we many times think of stewardship only having to do with money. We think that stewardship means I have to spend my money wisely and I have to give money to God because I'm just managing what he owns. He owns it all. Folks, it goes way beyond money. It goes to everything we are. From the moment we trust Christ as Savior and, and, and God changes our lives, makes us a child of God, we are to be stewards of our whole life. Everything we do, everything we have, all that we are, we are to be stewards. We are to manage our life for God. And that means the spiritual gift or ability that God's given us to serve. If you're not serving, you're not managing your abilities. You're not a steward. You may be the greatest financial giver in all the world. But you're not managing the spiritual gifts, the God-given abilities to serve for his glory if you're not busy and actively involved. Now, some of you may, as we've said, may be doing too much. So you feel like you're spread too thin and, and it's like the inch deep and a mile wide thing and you feel like I'm not getting anything done, I'm not doing it well. And folks, when we're all functioning in the area of our giftedness, you know what? The balance will be perfect. Because that's the way God designed it to be. So as we talk about this, and then he says, especially prophecy. Now we're going to look at that. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul goes on, and he says this, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, 
encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So what are these two gifts? Prophecy and speaking in tongues. We've heard about prophecy, and and I'm sure you've heard about speaking in tongues, but what exactly are they? And if we're going to understand what God wants us to do to build the church, and these are part of the spiritual giftedness of some people, do they fit us today? We've talked about that. Some people feel that some of these gifts are not for use today. They ended back in the end of the first century. Some feel that we still ought to be using them again till Jesus comes again. What do we know about that? Well, we've got to understand what the gifts in and of themselves are. So first of all, what is prophecy? Well, first of all, in a general sense, we would call it forth-telling. Forth, not the number, but forth, giving out the truth, proclaiming the truth, forth-telling. But then probably in a special sense, the way that you would typically think more of prophecy would be the predicting the future, saying something is going to happen because God revealed that to you. So proclaiming the truth, foretelling or foretelling, predicting the truth. This is what is going to happen in exactly the way that it's going to happen detailed explanation of what may happen in the future that not, and when it's if it's if it's a prophetic utterance if it's a prophetic word it's not if it happens it will happen if it's a real true prophet sent and called by God in both cases the general sense the specific sense the proclaiming of truth the predicting of truth in both cases it involves direct revelation from God Now, that's the critical part. We have people all over the place. You could just go online and Google it. And you'll find people out there making all kinds of prophetic promises, predictions. And they make enough, one or two has to come true, right? I could say, as bad as the Phillies were this year, they will win a game next year. Well, if they do, right? Up, oh, see, I'm a prophet. Well, it, it's not like that's, that's kind of not the way God intended. It's direct revelation from God. And also coming along with that is the ability to accurately communicate that inerrant truth to those who need to hear it. And when we talk about prophecy, God is revealing his truth for those of us believers to get that truth, to understand that truth, to be able to live that truth. Let me share with you. If you want to write these down, and then we're going to look at one, but in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. Uh, is one. Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30. Write that down. Write down Acts chapter 21, verses 10 and 11. You can check out what prophecy, examples of prophecy. And understand this, when a prophet makes a prediction, when a prophet declares truth from God, it 
happens exactly as the prophet spoke all the time. No exceptions. Same with the gift of healing. We're not talking about that this morning. But, but you get these faith healers today, and what happens, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they know, sometimes they don't. When faith healing took place as a gift given to individuals to heal people, they were 100% healed all the time. That's the difference. And when we talk about prophecy, a prophet is always right, very specific, 100% accurate, never, never, ever contradicts the Word of God. The revealed Word of God. Now, um, let's look at chapter 27 of Acts. Acts chapter 27. I gave you some other to, to write down. But Acts chapter 27, if you want to write it and listen, verses 21 to 26, you may be familiar with this story because it's Paul's, sh- the, when he was on the, the ship to Rome, when he was shipwrecked. And uh, they were in the storm and all the rest of it. And you can take a look at Acts 27 and read about the storm. But verse 21, after they had gone a long time without food, the, st- the ship's in the middle of this storm, tossed to and fro, Paul stood up before them, the whole crew, everybody on the ship. Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Paul said, we shouldn't leave. There should have wintered there. You know, it's kind of like I told you so. (laughs) Paul couldn't resist, right? But then he goes on and he says, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. Verse 22, Acts 27. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God. I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. That's prophecy. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. And what Paul revealed, what, what the angel of God revealed to Paul, and Paul revealed to the, all those on the ship, happened exactly as he said it would. And if you and I, if you read the picture, the, the, the account of the storm and all that was going on and, and continue to read to the end of the chapter, you'll see how it came just as Paul predicted it would, as he prophesied that it would. There's no way in the middle of that storm that anybody in their right mind would make that prophecy. But because it was direct revelation from God, Paul said it and it happened. It, that's prophecy. Now, I believe, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, that prophecy, the gift of prophecy, ended with the last prophet. You say, well, who was that? Well, that's a good question. And uh, because it had to do with the individuals. But we'll see. We'll move on, and we'll talk more about that as we move forward next week. But understand this, too. Not all prophecy was also truth that was to be included in the Bible, God's Word. We sometimes think of a prophet as uttering truth that became the Bible. Not all. What Paul said and what he told those men on that ship did not become... Well, the story became part of it, right? But, but in and of itself, not every time somebody utters truth does it become part of the written Word of God at that point. So that's prophecy. 
the gift of prophecy, very specific, 100% accurate, never contradicts God's truth. And back in Paul's day, it would never have contradicted what was said in the Old Testament. All right? Tongues. What are tongues? Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And folks, we're just skimming across the top of this because we could spend a lot of time digging deep into this. But as we talk about what are tongues, simply put, tongues are the supernatural ability to speak in a known language that is critical to understand. A known language. That's the word. It is not just gibberish. And I'm going to play an example for you next week to hear some of what that is. It's a known language which is unlearned and previously unknown to the speaker. The gift of tongues, uh, which happened, we see, recorded in Acts chapter 2 right here, but also in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19. The gift is about speaking, the ability to speak in a known language which they haven't learned or previously known. It is not the gift of hearing. Because when we read through Acts chapter 2, look at it, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a loud a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, what were those tongues? Well, let's keep going. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Some would see it has to do with the hearing. No, they heard those who were speaking in tongues and those who were speaking were speaking in the languages. What language? Well, look at it. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it? All the men that were speaking, the disciples at that time were a number of them, they were all from Galilee, okay? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. See, they heard, but it was because they, the, those with the gift were speaking known languages that all of these people from all of these places heard in their language. It wasn't the gift of special hearing, but the men who spoke it did so, so that those who heard their own language, their native tongue, understood. And it's like, what in the world is going on here? These guys are all, Gal they're all from Galilee which was the north part of Israel. And they're speaking all these worldwide languages. That was the gift of tongues. And we'll talk next week more about what that was for. Why was tongues there? But as we know it now in the history of the church, after the first century, tongues basically disappeared. In fact, as you follow through the New Testament, you get through the book of Acts, and, and even as you're working through, the book of Acts is about 30 years of church history, and, and as you get from the beginning to the end, it, it just fades away. In fact, as you look at the rest of the New Testament, you rarely see it even mentioned. The book of Ephesians talks about it. 
Paul again is writing. And he wrote Corinthians from Ephesus. You, you very rarely hear about it. Well, the fact of the matter is, church history, there's nothing hardly after the first century until we get to the 1900s and 1901, there was an outbreak and it started things all over again as we uh, know them today. But tongues were real languages, not ecstatic utterance, not made-up words, not learned words that people have learned how to put together and, and then put on an air of spiritual maturity because they're speaking in tongues. It's a known language, all right? Now, that's important that we grab hold of that. It's a spiritual gift, so therefore not everybody can have that gift or did have that gift. Distributed sovereignly by God as he chose for the good, the building up of the church. Now then, what is that business of edification? What is that business of building up? Look again back to Acts, or 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because as we look then back, as we look back to chapter 14 and verse 3. Well, let me just read. We read down through there, but if you'll look. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening. That's the word to build up, edify. All right, verse four. Look at verse four as you move on through. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Tongues edifies themselves, but he says, but the one who prophesies edifies or builds up the church. Look down to verse five. At the end of verse five. Now, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. And then we go on to verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? In other words, if there's no interpreter, what good is it? And that was the problem that was going on in the public services in the church at Corinth. People were attempting to speak in tongues because it sounded so good. It made you look spiritual. It was real showy and flashy. And, and the true gift of tongues to be able to speak a language that you don't know, that you've never learned. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, man, I want to be able to do that. That's cool. I had French from grades 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I can say, parlez-vous Francais. That's about it. When Steve Marshall gets here, hey, parlez-vous Francais. <laughs> Tim and Barb Vermilia were here earlier this week. We parlez-vous Francais. See, I, six years of French, that's what I got. Man, if I had the gift of tongues and could speak in French like that, boom, it'd be great. But that's not how it is and and so as we know here what we're talking about it has to do with building up the church look down to verse 12 verse 12 Paul says this uh, so it is with you since you are eager for the gifts of the spirit try to excel in those that build up the church edify the church Look at verse 13. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret. You need an interpreter. We'll talk more about that even next week. Down to verse 17. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. No one else is built up. Uh, verse 19. Uh, I, 
Paul says this, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Because it's intelligible. It would build somebody up if they could understand what was going on. And then we look down to verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together? Gathered together like we are this morning, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Notice they put them together. He says everything must be done so that the church may be built up, edified. That is what the gift of tongues and prophecy and any other spiritual gift is all about. So there you have it. Now, as we talk through this, you say, well, what does that mean to build up? How do you build up the church? Simply put, it means to promote the spiritual growth of. So we talk about building up the church. We're talking about promoting spiritual growth within the church. Doing those things, you as a gifted individual, a believer. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not, you're not a believer. You don't have that spiritual gift. But if you know Christ, if you're saved, you've been given a God-given special ability to serve. And that gift is to be used to promote the spiritual growth of the body of believers that we call heritage. Just like Paul was saying, you guys are all in this for yourselves. He says that when you are praying in tongues and people talk about doing that, that's not you. Who are you building up? Well, maybe yourself. But there's no guarantee that if you're speaking a language that you don't know, that you'll know what the language means. That's why he says you're speaking to God. God knows. Doesn't mean that you will. So what Paul's talking about is how we promote the spiritual growth of God's church. That's the whole purpose of spiritual gifts. Now as you look down through verses um, 6 to 19... There's, it, it's really pretty basic and clear and plain. There's not, there's not a lot difficult. It's kind of cut and dry. Verse 6, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. We talked about that a minute ago. It, it's got to be understood, right? Verse 7, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, musical instruments... How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? If there's no difference between taps and reveille, right? Reveille is to get you up in the morning. Taps is to put you to bed at night. And if you don't know the difference, what do you, what, what do, you do? That's what Paul's saying. How do you know? And then he says, verse 8, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will be able to get ready for battle? So it is with you unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue. How will anyone know what you are saying? Folks, there's no trickiness interpretation about that. That's like clear as a bell, right? That's what Paul's saying. If then I do not grasp, oh, verse 10, undoubtedly there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. Again, he's referring to tongues as languages. And he says, you may be speaking some language. All languages are legitimate. But if you're speaking a language and I don't know the language, we're not communicating. I don't know what you're saying. What good is it? 
And then verse, four, verse 12, so it is with you, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, be eager. They wanted the gifts, but for some of them, the wrong reasons. Try to excel in those that what? Promote the spiritual growth of the church. Now you can read on down verses 13 to 19 and you'll find the same thing is going on. Paul's talking about praying in tongues. But if they were going to do that in the church, it would have to be so that there definitely is an interpreter. Otherwise, it would only be for self-promotion. It would be for promoting my spiritual growth, maybe. And, and so the importance of having an interpreter, because he says, verse 17, even if, or I'll go back to verse uh, 16, where, where we read, uh, otherwise, when you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you're saying? You're praising God with thank God for this and thank God for that, but it's speaking in tongues or praying in tongues and nobody understands there's no interpreter. What good does it do? That's what he's saying. So, verse 17, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. No one else is built up. No one else is going to experience spiritual growth. You say, all right. What about the rest of this? Well, in light of all that you've heard this morning, what do you need to do? Well, I have three questions for you. Number one, are you pursuing the way of love? That's what Paul talked about in verse 1. Are you pursuing the way of love? What do we mean? How are you loving the church? If love is a verb, how are you loving the church? How are you using the God-given special ability for service that we call spiritual gift? What are you doing to serve the church, to promote the spiritual growth of the church? You see, if we love the church, and as believers, it's like you say, I love God, but I don't like the church. That's, that's something that's become kind of uh, a cliche that people say, well, I love, I love God, but I can't stand the church. It's just, boy, it's just not working like it ought to work. Well, we can't because you know what you're saying? You're saying, I love you, but I don't love your bride. Doesn't work that way. How are you loving the church? Well, if we love the church, we serve it. We serve one another. How are you promoting the spiritual growth of Heritage Baptist Church? How are you building up our church? Are you serving? Are you caring? Are you loving? You see, God has given you an ability to do that. John 13, 34, and 35, we looked at that last week. A new command I give you, Jesus said, love one another. And he says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. Wow. Verse 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love is a verb, folks. We talk a lot about it. We got to do it. Secondly, are you eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit? Are you exercising your God-given abilities to serve the church? What are you doing? 
What are you doing regularly and consistently to use your God-given ability to serve the church? You say, well, I'm not sure what my gift is. You know what the best way to discover your spiritual gift? Get busy. To get busy. Because once you start serving, you know what happens? You see what you're good at. You realize what you're good at. Because God gives you an excitement and a passion and a joy. And you see results from what it is you're doing when you're serving with your giftedness. The best way to discover your gift is to serve. And then thirdly, are you intensely pursuing God's truth? You say, you see the gift of prophecy. Well, I don't believe that gift is active today. So what do we do with the gift of prophecy? Well, we have a Bible because there were prophets who spoke that became the written word of God. Direct revelation from God. That's how we got the Bible. So let me ask you then. Are you taking advantage of God's word? Are you intensely pursuing God's truth? Do you know the Bible? You know, a simple question, I could say, well, can you quote the 66 books of the Bible in order? Do you, like when, you, when somebody says, hey, turn to Zephaniah 1-1. Oh, table of contents. See, that's the cell phone or tablet. That's a great thing, right? You just, boom. You, <laughs> you version, you just, bing, bing, you're right there. It's like mathematics and a calculator, right? But seriously, do you know the word of God? Paul, uh, God, David said, I have hidden God's word in my heart. I've memorized it. I've learned it. Why? So that I will not sin against God. Do you pursue God's truth? Do you spend time reading? Do you spend time studying? Do you spend time learning this book, the Bible? Are you hiding it in your heart? Are you memorizing it? Do you know it? Do you live it? Do you obey it? That's God's prophecy to us. What are we doing with it? We got to answer these questions, folks, because that's the only way God's church will grow is if we, the church, are pursuing love, are using the gifts of the Spirit that He's given us, and know and obey the truth of God's Word. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came to this earth because you so loved us to die in our place for our sin. And thank you, God, that you left us the word of God, the Bible, your revelation as to how you want us to live our lives right now, how we should love your church and serve your people. Oh, God, help us as those whom you have gifted to be busy about your work. Help us to love each other as you have loved us and to know your word. God, if there's any here today who this just all seems to be nonsense, who don't know Jesus, God, I pray that even before they leave this building, they may seek out someone to to get some answers about 
What does it mean to know God by faith in Jesus Christ? Father, help us who know you to proclaim your truth loudly and clearly and boldly for the glory of God. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.